LibertyNation.com does not endorse candidates, campaigns, or legislation, and this presentation is no endorsement. Is Elon Musk really a friend of free speech? Lies, damn lies, and stories about the war, and the latest in our ongoing coverage of Trump versus DeSantis for the battle of the soul of the Republican Party. Right now on this episode of The Uprising, gobble, gobble. LibertyNation.com. They are the resistance, but we are the uprising with Scott Cosenza. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15. We're in high school. I'd take you behind the gym and beat the hell out of them. His Twitter account should be suspended. Right. You want to go to work? Go take the job as an essential worker. Do it tomorrow. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be when people realize. I think possibly that's the most unattractive form in which prejudice can be met in this country, is the, the rage of the entitled. I'm high as a kite in my garage and I can see through these guys. Everybody ready? Ready as gonna be. Ready as we're gonna be on a special Thanksgiving edition of The Uprising. Welcome back, Timothy Elting Donner, LibertyNation.com senior political analyst. I'm your host, Scott D. Casenza, LibertyNation.com legal affairs editor. And boy, have we got a show for you today on an accelerated timeline so that we can enjoy our Thanksgiving repast with family and friends. Ooh, nice word. Recording early this repast. week, Tim. But uh, there's still much to uh, much to talk about in the body politic, as it were. And uh, I thought we would lead things off with uh, some Elon Musk talk. Um, Good. Trump, Trump got his Twitter back or uh, Elon gave him his Twitter back. Um but I think as we record here on Tuesday, the 22nd in the uh, morning hours, there has yet to be a tweet from the Donald uh, on his reinstated account. Uh, can you verify that? Well, I can verify one thing, which the left has, you know, been crying, basically a, a crying fire in a crowded theater. <laughs> Scott, Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter represents the end of the world <laughs> yeah. as we know it that's basically how the left is treating it like it was their own personal playground and now that they they don't get to censor uh people with points of view that they don't like they uh, they don't know how to handle it and they're not handling it well yeah it was uh conniption fit city uh i think that the it's so important that elon or, or that somebody puts free speech at Twitter just based him on the reaction for, you know, for seeing that Trump and others are getting their Twitter back and that uh, the 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 kind of dialing down of conservative voices or voices that question whatever the official narrative is, you know, the the harder they buck against that, you see how important it is for them to be able to keep the reins on what's allowed to be said. Scott, um, I'm really surprised at you. I mean. It's hard to believe that you are not down with the cause of hate speech. I mean, here you are promoting the the reinstitution of hate speech on Twitter. And I thought you were a sensitive guy, but, you know, that's all out the window now. I mean, there should be it's the end of the of, world as we know it. There Just should be remember some kind that. of project, Tim, that like. I don't know who would be the person or the people to do it anymore. It seems like the maybe the uh, 
the organization, the fire uh, or something like that. But to list all of these censorious bastards who want uh, to make sure that Elon cuts off free speech like the ADL and the NAACP, uh, all these these so-called uh, you know, civil rights or freedom groups that are aligned with typically Democrat causes that reveal themselves to be these awful, disgusting, petty tyrants who want to make sure that there's no free speech. Uh, meanwhile, by the way, the Southern Poverty Law Center. Oh, God, they shouldn't the even say it. Oh, yes. You give, them the, you give them the press now by even mentioning their because name. Because you know the what? The, the problem is it's just like the ACLU, the cause on paper. Yeah. In terms of principle, is very sound. Well, that the way also they have like they start with a good a, name for a lot of people, a, you know, like they had established a positive brand. You know, it's like the Walmart does with some of these brands. They'll buy like a formerly good brand that stood for like quality, you know, quality manufacturing or something like that, but nobody buys anymore. And then they just farm it out to China and produce cheap crap with it. And then people think they're buying, you know, the good old brand, but Really, they're buying the 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 shelled out husk that's just being mined for. Uh, well, and the reverse profit. is true too. For example, people think when they're buying a Volkswagen, they're buying a German car, but like eighty five eighty five percent of it yeah. is produced <laughs> and built yeah. in North America. German engineering, so, Mexican know. manufacturing. Good luck. Good luck with that. All right. <laughs> well, you know. One of the things, Tim, I, th I saw this week that I, I thought was a powerful kind of piece, and I wanted to bring it here to the uprising. And this is the kind of thing where, you know, and I've been, I think, very effusive with praise for Musk on, uh, you know, just for the reversal of the censorious uh, policies that Twitter has engaged in, which were massive, uh, you know, the, the extent to which they boosted uh, status liberal uh, progressive propaganda and and and, and tried to tamp down sort of pro-freedom or conservative messages was, you know, we're, we're just discovering the degrees, but it's it's no small matter. But there are really good, I think, criticisms that can come of Musk from the left, uh, just not about free speech, obviously. And and I thought that uh, Badia Unger Sargon, who's uh, uh, one of the now co-hosts of The Rising or, or uh, an, a commenter on The Rising anyway, had a really good one. And I wanted to play it for you. Musk is famous for bending the knee to China, and while many major corporations have a horrible record of acquiescing to China's requests for censorship and surveillance, Musk has truly gone above and beyond, issuing groveling apologies and obsequious praise to the CCP, and perhaps worst of all, building a showroom for Tesla in the Xinjiang region where China is perpetrating a genocide of Uyghur Muslims. He also bowed to pressure to store data collected by his electric cars in mainland China, where it is subject to CCP surveillance. Musk has done more to normalize China's human rights abuses in the United States than perhaps anyone else. He may be the richest man in the world, but he's also the man whose fortune is most dependent on China and China's largesse. The real danger with Musk taking over Twitter has never been that it will turn into Gab or Parler, but that it will turn into WeChat the social media app China uses to surveil its citizens. That's the real problem with Elon Musk. We might be enjoying him taking on the professional managerial cast and exposing their hypocrisy, their privilege, and their pretensions. But so is the Chinese Communist Party, because it gets them one step closer to controlling the public square in America. It's a question I put to FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr last week. Here's what he had to say. 
Elon Musk, right, owner and, and CEO of, of Twitter currently, this is a man who is deeply connected to China, deeply connected to the Chinese Communist Party. You know, his entire supply chain is in China. All of the batteries for Tesla are, are, are created there. Um, he built a showroom for Tesla in the Xinjiang region where the genocide of the Uyghurs is happening. So this is a man who is very, very into bending the knee to China. I mean, isn't there a worry? Don't the same worries that apply to TikTok to some degree apply now to Twitter as well? Well, I think Elon Musk has staked out a pretty clear line that he's going to be pro-free speech, pro-diversity of opinions. But to your point, there's a lot of people that are critical of him, whether it's the, the points that you raised there uh, or people worried about him having too much control over the free flow of information on Twitter. And that's why my position has been we should not simply rely on the hopefully benevolence of a billionaire when it comes to a social media platform like this that is effectively the digital town square. That's why my position has always been we need to step in. I think Congress needs to with pro-speech guardrails to protect diversity of opinions on Twitter, on social media. And I think that would mitigate or address entirely these types of concerns that are being raised. You know, she goes on and I'm going to finish her remarks, but I just wanted to say that there could be a way for Congress to encourage Twitter or other social media apps to have an open policy for free speech without regulating it. What I mean by that is to not engage with, not authorize, like, you know, many towns, cities, and states have Facebook pages that they pay uh, to maintain and, you know, curate for announcements and things like that. That's in many ways the new ways that, you know, that governments communicate with their people, right? Twitter accounts, the, you think of all the officials that use Twitter. Well, they decided to stop, not because of some kind of, you know, temper tantrum against Musk, right? But instead of saying, well, we only will put our, our uh, announcements and discussions on kind of free speech apps um, or platforms, that would be a way, I'm just trying to think outside the box where like, because, you know, I, when I hear that, I think, well, obviously, Tim, the answer is not let's get Congress involved in the management of Twitter. Right. That's certainly going to be right, a disaster right. for free speech and everybody else. But maybe there's a way for the government to kind of encourage these platforms to be more free than less. You know, the problem, I think, is that, you know, all of us want free speech. Uh, right minded people want these to be platforms for free speech, because otherwise, what's the point? Then it turns into a propaganda arm. Uh, but if you have totally unfettered free speech where people can put up stuff that's really vile and offensive to some people, that will turn them off. That will mean they don't come back and that will reduce the power and effectiveness of Twitter. So it's a, you know, you want total free speech, but you don't want people being able to go on there and put their pornography up put their, you know, their vile, hateful, you know, nakedly anti-Semitic, anti-Black, anti-Muslim, anti-Christian, anti-whatever. Uh, so there has to be yeah. some regulation, have, not yeah. by the government, but by uh, Elon Musk and the purveyors I of Twitter and other social an media. unfettered stuff. Twitter for the audience that wants an unfettered Twitter. So, for instance, I would choose... Uh, like my search options are 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 not curated for for my mm -hmm. sensibilities. I have safe search turned off when I search for something. I want the full breadth of whatever the search results return. And for my Twitter experience, I don't want uh, what you said. If the, if people are posting 
anti-Semitic comments to some tweet that goes out. I want to see what they're posting. I actually would prefer the uncurated, unfiltered experience. So I actually right. Think oh, that- I understand, but that's you. What I'm saying is that a lot of people who are just kind of on Twitter. I mean, we have to do it for professional reasons, right? You and I, and you actually got me started on looking at Twitter for news. Um, so much good but, stuff there. Well, hold, hold it, on. Just, it is, I, but I, but I the what I was proposing, which is that yeah, there are sufficient content filtering options. A person yeah. who who joins up can just select yes, moderate the content that I see, so that explicit whatever, however that's defined, content isn't shown, and I can sign up and say no, don't moderate my content. It seems like you know the options there for 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 the technology to provide both users the experience they want a a monitored, you know, hall monitor kind of option that they don't see the bad things and the unfettered free option. I I wonder if Twitter is a mostly negative or mostly positive experience for people, because um, maybe I just speak for myself. But, you know, I know what I think. I've thought it through uh, and I'm pretty firm about what I believe. So when I go on a place like Twitter, I'm actually looking for left wing stuff. I want stuff that challenges my own thinking uh, because it can clarify it. And maybe occasionally they'll even, you know, uh, lurch uncontrollably into something that's true. Um, so I don't know what do the do people mostly want to go onto Twitter just to feel better about their own positions because there's, you know, 100 million other people. Yeah, I hope, uh, I hope it's to expand their their expand their experience. Let's finish up with uh, Badia here. Now, whether or not you think it's the government's role to intervene here, I, I do think that he is right. We should not be relying on the benevolence of a billionaire to protect our town square. Musk exposes both the gross hypocrisy of the overeducated elites and the danger of a supply chain that's rooted in a repressive regime. And that's the real problem with rooting for Musk, the guy who exposes the hypocrisy of these progressive elites who manages to get them to voluntarily tell on themselves and type out the words, stick to working on the railroad, is not beholden to progressive elites because he's beholden to something much worse. So what is... You know, my reaction to that, Scott, is that does that woman and her allies, do they are they equally upset about Nike and Apple and the other places that are propping up the Chinese Communist government? Yeah, I don't through, I don't get the sense their, through the markets in China. I don't get the sense that she's a hypocrite. Um I mean, she's a, okay, she's so straight, but she's pointing out Musk, she, it's not like Musk is hardly the only one that's relying on the Chinese market for cheap labor and for consumers. That this is well, she's saying he's he's, he's especially unique. susceptible to it, and that's why it's dangerous to put the sort of keys to free speech in his in his control. Uh, well, know, he's he's dangerous in the sense that he's the richest man in the world, so he can control a lot of things simply by virtue of his wealth. But beyond that, I mean, yeah, okay. Do you think that the previous purveyors and heads and major domos at Twitter? We're totally unconnected to China. 
Were they were the no, ones? Of course not. They were the ones that shut down any discussion about the origins of COVID. Yeah, coming from. I think that you're making a what about argument that's not a great argument because it it her argument isn't that something else is perfect and then, uh, you know, I Elon think our is economy. I think my point is Scott, is that our economy is now inexorably intertwined with China at so many different levels that yeah. What she's saying is probably true, but it's also true of, you know, major corporations throughout the country. Yeah. Let's talk for a second about the uh, the Trump reinstatement. Um, while I'm delighted that Trump was reinstated because I think it was straight political, uh, you know, they. If you remember the sort of vibe around this, it was like there was always this talk about whether they're going to cut Trump off of Twitter Right. And the idea was um, not that he had violated their terms of service. I think that if it wasn't the Ayatollah Khomeini of some some, you know, substantially similar type person has been in, and is still on Twitter. And the yeah. idea that, like, Trump was worse than him is ridiculous. So it seemed always to be political. <laughs> um, but New also the way they did it with the vote, to me, seemed the opposite of free speech, which is so Elon Musk ran this. Twitter poll, which was over 15 million Twitter uh, uh, account-holders voted in, and Trump narrowly won, like, vote to reinstate his account. It narrowly won, Um, and so he did. He said the people have spoken, but it was like, well, if you... He said he's a free speech absolutist, and one, you know, one of his post-Twitter takeover tweets, you don't hold free speech up to a vote if you're a free speech absolutist. (laughs) What what do you think about it? Yeah, no, you're... You're certainly right. I mean, Ned, we don't vote on the First Amendment every four years. Uh, At the same time, um, I think, you know, he's, look, Musk is feeling his way along. I mean, he's owned Tesla and so many other corporate interests that have been wildly successful. But this Twitter is a unique animal. And I think he's trying stuff out, the $8 blue check mark to pay for, um, different t- kind of techniques for filtering and all that stuff. Um, Available yeah, for Apple he, but I think he, he also, I think he doesn't want to trash the entire Twitter community as he arrives by saying, I don't give a damn what you say. I'm going to give you some, I'm going to give you some consumer choice. I think that's what he's thinking. Your argument is right. In the purest sense, it's not free speech when you put it to a vote. But I also think, like in so many areas, Donald Trump is a one-off, unique personality uh, phenomenon uh, that maybe that he's been an exception in every realm into which he's entered. Well, nobody would enjoy hearing that more than Mr. Donald J. Trump, uh, I, I'm sure. Um <laughs> He uh, that's his goal, right, is to be the uh, to be exceptional. In, uh well, I mean, the good part of this, though, the, the juicy part is how I mean, the left taking the bait on this, that. Uh, a supposedly serious person went on Face the Nation uh, on CBS, which I prefer to call Fake the Nation, but that's mm-hmm. just me. Maggie Brennan's operation and, and said that. Essentially, to to boil it down, that the the vote by Elon Musk on Twitter uh, was subject to Russian interference 
collusion. That, that's the reason that Trump <laughs> won this election, just like 2016 was Russian interference. Russian bots uh, put their foot on the vote and put Trump over the top. That's and and they and it said with a straight face. I think these polls are mostly a gimmick and. I would argue the people haven't spoken. The GRU has spoken. The, these uh, Twitter Russian has become, intelligence, you mean? 100%. Twitter has become a playground for bad actors and fake bots. I thought Graham was kidding. Well, you know, they're... Um, and I was sweeping the site, and I'm like, isn't that a bit much? And then I go, no, actually it isn't. Tim, they're still investigating the, those charges, so I don't think uh, I would approach them with such flippancy uh, as you uh, as you have these Russian collusion charges from. You know, well, you know what? It's yeah, how many times I've quoted this song from Simon and Garfunkel, or one line from the song, which applies again here. People hear what they want to hear and, and disregard, disregard the rest. The rest. Yeah. And look. People on the left, I think you'd say there's over 80 percent that still believe Russia collusion was real, even though there was a two year investigation by the highly respected Robert Mueller, revealing right. that the total thing was a fraud. But people on the left, I think over 80 percent of them still believe it. You have stumbled into, once again, Tim, another unintentional segue, which you're the master <laughs> of, and uh, we appreciate you for it. Let's go ahead and talk it's about... It's a soda voce, Scott, soda voce. <laughs> Listen, don't throw your Latin at me with your fancy prep school Latin ways. Well, I'm look, I'm intimidated by the fact that you have a Juris doctorate and I don't, so, yeah. you, know, you know, so soon... Um, <laughs> I think actually Musk said Vox Populi on his uh, on his tweet, which I I had translated oh, I for the uh, for the audience. Very much. Um, so we did have the story last week about uh, the well, the big story is the AP fired the reporter whose anonymously sourced and retracted story claimed Russia killed Polish civilians in Poland with a missile fired at it yes. at or in ukraine and it looks like now the, the the story seems to be that this was a ukrainian missile uh that that part of which uh landed in and killed a couple of yeah. poles in poland uh but for a little while there there were some people on you know people who are have have pretty loud voices on twitter and otherwise saying and you know uh, uh calling a uh Activate. I'm trying to. I don't know why I'm stumbling over my own words here. Article five is what I'm trying to get to. That we should enact Article five, which is the common defense, uh, the NATO common defense. That means that we have to go to war if, uh, you know, that's that's the agreement. Yeah, yep. exactly. Uh, yep. Which and of course, um, but there's what, also what was the title four. of? Uh, there's also Article four, which is a less severe form yeah. of mobilization against a, a perceived threat. So it's not you you don't automatically go just right to five. LibertyNation.com's national secur security correspondent Dave Patterson uh has been, you know, writing all about uh the war since it started. And uh th there's the title of his piece from last week, Archduke Ferdinand, close call in Poland should give Putin pause. But what I've been trying to get uh sort of uh involved in arguing with you is why doesn't he give us pause? Why isn't you know you it seem does. to be okay. It does. I mean, in other words, look, a couple of things. First of all, 
whoever that reporter was, and I forget the name, who reported that it was likely a Russian missile, that person should never work in journalism again, because that kind of reporting can trigger a world a war. war. Yeah, it can. It can trigger a war. So, yeah, first of all, that kind of reckless reporting, I'm glad the person was fired. Uh, second of all, um, I think it, it did uh, raise a whole lot of eyebrows, to say the least, here because of what it could imply if it was a Russian missile. But it also says, Scott, that, you know, Putin was quick uh, basically to say that it was not him because he is afraid of the retaliatory effect if the West concludes that it was him. So there's sort of a balance of terror there that has existed, you know, ever since the Cold War because of the existence uh, of all these nuclear weapons, these stockpiles that exist from the old days of the Soviet Union, which is the only thing that Russia has outside of oil, basically, is to hold that as a threat. And yet Putin understands that the future of his country basically still is in the hands of mutually assured destruction, which is what we had during um, the Cold War. The problem, Scott, is the nuclear technology is there, and it, 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 the, the genie is out of the bottle. It cannot be put back in, which is why things like the well, that's nuclear... That's what Oppenheimer, uh, Oppenheimer said when he saw the, uh, absolutely, the bomb go off, right? Absolutely, but the, the nuclear uh, technology... Is, even if they like movements like the nuclear freeze movement are so ill-conceived because you can freeze the actual weapons. You cannot freeze the knowledge of how to build them. So how do you deal? You, you're dealing with a world with nuclear weapons where you have, I believe, nine nations that have uh, a nuclear weapon and Iran uh, on its way to one to become, I believe, the 10th. So you have to deal with the reality of a world with nuclear weapons. And, it, you know, it's a it becomes like a shell game, almost a transactional thing. Scott, the last time we spoke about this, you and it I'm happy to have you correct my understanding of your argument. But it seemed to me that your argument was. No retreat, no surrender to, to unfortunately quote Mr. Bruce Springsteen to you uh, for what the position of us and the Ukrainians should be with respect to the war there. That like you you couldn't abide a uh, solution where that, you know, the Donbass perhaps or some other region were, you know, part of uh, Russia and then maybe Ukraine was independent. Is that do I have that wrong? Are you? You know what? What's your position? No, there? I yeah, that that is a matter between Ukraine and Russia. You know, Russia has look. Uh, Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union, of course, for the entire seventy years of the Soviets' existence before they dissolved uh, in nineteen ninety one. So there's a sense of something being taken away from them. Uh, however, the Soviet Union forfeited any right to have any sovereignty over any country in Eastern Europe that they had enslaved with the republics that the 16 different republics that they had enslaved uh, with communism. And so they really forfeited their rights. And the biggest way they forfeited it was 
the formation of a defensive alliance known as NATO that basically said, Scott, never again, never again are we not going to be united against the threat of communism from the East. And so the NATO is not designed to overtake Russia. It's not designed to expand further for the sake of expansion. It is designed to protect the West from communism. I think that the one thing that I would just sort of really want to challenge you there on is your your discussion of NATO as a defensive uh, alliance. And I would just say that that's not likely how uh, President Putin perceives NATO. That's not likely how the Chinese perceive NATO. And that right. those are communists you're talking about. Of course, they see it that way. I don't think it's relevant that they're communists. I think it's relevant that they're they are well, okay. people who, who are technically not a communist. I don't, I don't, even, I don't mean equivalent. When did you I, when did what, you what, stop what, being your wife and know. when did you stop being a communist? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't mean right. equivalent That's about the, the terminology. What I mean is if you've got uh, thousands of nuclear weapons and a billion people uh, and you don't think it's a defensive alliance, you think that it may be an offensive alliance. Whether you and I agree that it's defensive or not is unimportant. What's important is that we put ourselves in the shoes of of the other. And I, I just wanted to say that there are so many lies about war, like this this bombing story, this lie. Did you see the story about the Viagra? Uh, uh, that that so one of the one of the many stories that the Western uh, uh, authorities like to gin up against people to hate in in terms of fomenting war is. They'll say that uh, they're giving their troops Viagra to rape, uh, uh, you know, these victims and uh, and create this horrible outcomes. Well, they ran that up the flagpole. That was something that Susan Power said against the Libyan uh, uh, regime, which turned out to be false. And then it was now just trotted out against. You know, the truth um, is, Scott, that in war, there is no truth. It's yeah. all propaganda because you've got two sides that are that are putting people's lives on the line with what they're doing. So it's all, it's essentially all propaganda, just like it was. Look, look at Vietnam. I'm so glad you said that because at I, Vietnam, could, I just couldn't agree. We more. were assured over and over that we were progressing yeah. in the battle to, to save Vietnam, South Vietnam from being overtaken by the forces of communism. We were constantly told that we were doing well and that all of a sudden we had inflated our presence to five hundred thousand troops and we still could not win that war we weren't that, told the truth that we were told is we amazing. were told what was necessary to keep well, the war effort yeah right uh, afloat yes. So one of the side stories i've been following just because of my interest in in uh these sorts of the way these things pan out legally interests me I've always had an interest in admiralty law, um, and part of this touches against that. But and just also uh, boats and yachting, um, the U.S. and and the the West's like war on the super yachts of the oligarchs, and the way it works right. is these super yachts are a to to say that they're a fortune to keep up, and it, it, it's an understatement. You couldn't even afford, you know, to Scott, staff one for ten. Scott, it's like taking ice cream away from us. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, so you can see, by the way, whoa, what fighting words. Um, 
So one of the kind of side notes I've been, so I've been following this guy. Um, e. Sisman is the name of, uh, um, he's, you know, he's one of these people that like, you wouldn't have think of necessarily somebody as a journalist, but he is a journalist and he, he has a deep and abiding, uh, uh, understanding of how super yacht uh, management works, crewing them and the and the systems surrounding them. I assume that stands for um, engineering systems. He he doesn't give his his Christian name or his surname to look up his his record with super yachts, but you can tell he speaks from a uh, position of knowledge. But I just happened to catch his uh, uh, th- this one report where we're even now lying, Tim, about the circumstances with which we're seizing these yachts. And I just thought uh, it was you know, uh, an interesting aside uh, to play for everybody. You know, these, I've been just finished watching the latest season of The Crown on Netflix, which is about the uh, the Windsors. It goes, it's all about Queen Elizabeth's reign since 1952. And it actually goes back before that. But one of the episodes in this fifth season was the trauma caused by the British royalty being forced to give up their royal yacht, that it was an incredible trauma for them, that it was so representative of the monarchy. It was so significant to the image of the crown. Uh, so I think these yachts take an, an, an outsized significance for these yeah. For these and they're, type of people beyond what anything that we could sort of understand. And also they are, you know, we're talking about billions of dollars in assets uh, that have been seized. But let's uh, let's take a listen to the report. We saw it scrambling out of waters where we would normally be able to seize it. It became critical when it turned off its transponder. Essentially, the, the boat tried to go dark. But that didn't happen. Um, now, what, what did happen is on the day of the invasion of Ukraine, 24th of February, Amadea was in Antigua, which we didn't know at the time. But we, what we did know is that the vessel had turned off her, her, her AIS transmitter. Um, we later found out that she was in Antigua by subscribers who sent in photographs to us. So we knew that the vessel was there. Now, this is not unusual for this boat. This is before any sanctions and stuff. I often saw this vessel in different shipyards or marinas, like in Antigua Marina, and, and the AIS was turned off. Now, that is allowed by the International Maritime Organization. You, you only have to have your AIS on when you're at sea or at anchor. So they weren't breaking any rules there. So, But they did turn off the AIS a lot, which is unusual, but it's not illegal. When they left Antigua, however, the AIS came back on. Now, he says in that story that the vessel... So there you have it. This well, is Scott, the, you uh, have, uh, due to your background, obviously, you have a, uh, you're one of the rare people in the world that has an interest in the site super yacht news i'm very impressed <laughs> you have to keep up with which well i know exciting... you're considering which type of super yacht you're going to purchase and so i know you troll that site regularly you know tim a lot of people they win one of these giant lotteries and they're totally unprepared what kind of yacht do you think they're going to get and they get caught with their pants down they have no idea they're months behind on ordering their super yacht, not this kid. When I get the billion dollar Powerball, I'm going to know yeah, exactly yeah. You're have where it to all go. Lined up, ready to go. It's already um, in the cart, right? You put it in the cart. You just have to hit pay. There are a quarter million of us that subscribe to E Sisman's Super Yachts channel. I'll have you know, oh, by the way. Thank you so much. But I just thank thought you for looking that up quickly. That then. was um. But but if you think about it, like 
that they they have to lie about that even. They can't just steal the person's yacht fair and square and just say, well, we're <laughs> just, just going to do it. it they have to square. lie about and it just I just thought that, you know, there's so many lies about uh, all these things with the war that uh, you just can't trust anything almost, it seems well, like. Well, look, there's one simple sentence that describes it. War is hell. It's that simple. And part of the hell is that people are not really privy to what's actually going on. You know, Winston Churchill once said that, God forbid people know the truth, that you have to protect the truth with a bodyguard of lies. And that's war, where the truth is protected by a bodyguard of lies for fear that if people knew the real truth, they would revolt. Well, um, things may be changing a little bit uh, outside of Twitter. This is my awkward uh, uh, transition. I don't have the uh, unintentional You're not as transition good at these that you know exactly. I am, you know, uh, it's, it's got to be seamless too. <laughs> you have to not seem like you're trying awkwardly so much to for that. transition. There was a. Uh, I thought this was pretty surprising. So this is uh, Mike Wallace um, at CNN actually challenging Kara Swisher. Uh, you realize on, what you just said. You what did I? Oh, Mike, Chris, Mike Wallace. Wallace. Yeah, no, I, I obviously I meant. Chris I don't Wallace. ever get those two confused. Yeah. yeah, so I did mean I did mean Chris Wallace, and uh, I haven't been paying much attention to his uh, what he's been doing over at CNN. Like most people, I don't watch CNN, uh, but I saw this clip online, and that he went God, after. God, it's Paris. the most trusted. Day <laughs> yeah, in right. News. No, that's. The sponsor of today's podcast in LibertyNation.com, where truth is making a comeback. Um, and uh, the people sourced him for uh, conservatarian news and analysis 24-7. Indeed it is. 365. Um, but Kara Swisher is one of those people. She always gets to interview like Obama or Clinton or, or, or Hillary or one of the, anybody that they need, that these establishment figures need to the guarantee that she's never going to ask a challenging question, right there. She's never, ever going to actually embarrass them with a question about, you know, uh, well, really anything that, that challenges them fundamentally. Um, but Chris Wallace actually went after her because of course, what did she do when somebody challenged uh, Fetterman? Uh, she went after one of her own reporters. She went after them um, and, and he challenges her for that. So let's just, uh, let's take a quick listen to, uh, Mr. Chris Wallace of CNN. Aspect of this, sure. though, when an NBC reporter interviewed Lieutenant yes, Governor yes, yeah. Fetterman before the election, mm -hmm. the reporter, a woman, said that she that he had mm -hmm. trouble understanding when they were having small talk before yeah. the interview. Yes. And you posted this. Sorry to say, but I talked to John Fetterman for over an hour without stop or any aids. And this is just nonsense. Maybe this reporter is just bad at small talk. Why go there? I don't know. I was irritated by that because I think she didn't, she's not a doctor. I had a stroke, okay? And I had the exact same thing. I had a hard time with small talk. I was cognitively fine. And a lot of times you would say, oh, there's something wrong with you because you can't get words out. Well, maybe he had a bad day. Maybe he didn't want to talk to you. I don't know what but, it but is. But it was her experience, one. Absolutely. And two, afterwards, yes. between that and he the had speech, the bad debate. he had a terrible debate. He had and all she was trying to answer was the question everybody had, which is, how is he? Uh, but 
that doesn't tell you how he is. I, I, I understand why, and maybe I'm more emotional about it than most people, but I experienced that. And everyone was, when I was, when, it, when I had an hour long interview with him and he answered every question just fine. He had some ums and ahs. So do many people, much less than I thought. I think I was particularly irritated because it played into the GOP's efforts to make it a thing, whether it was true or not, to take advantage of someone's medical crisis and question things that are just, it was just a bit helpful to the GOP, Tim. That's why she could not abide her her co-reporter reporting truthfully that Fetterman was a mess in communication. You know what, you know what she did? The, the biggest thing that the biggest problem with what she said is that, well, she said it over and over. She kept saying, I, I. Yes. I, when I had a stroke, my symptoms, me, me, me. Okay, that's you. You have no idea whether Fetterman is worse off or better off than you. And you're not in a position to diagnose it. So to take something that personal and make a professional decision about it for a major media outlet is unacceptable. And she should be fired. She should be canned. Do you believe 10 seconds? But she had a 90-minute conversation with John Fetterman prior. No. Right. Where he answered every question just fine. No. no I Absolutely. Do Absolutely. Um, and if he did, by the way, then there's an even bigger story, which is he's getting worse. It's not even possible because look, the only way it's possible, Scott, is if he was pretending to be addled with Every other interview that he yeah, had yeah. and was right. saving her. his true self for his 90 right. minute discussion with this woman. Come this, on, please. You think we're you really they really do think we're stupid. Don't totally they? bankrupt. Exit question for the week for the senior political analyst. We were will we will record in over one week's time from today because we're recording a little early. So we'll have longer than seven days have will have passed before we take to the mics again, Tim. And my question to you is, will Donald Trump have tweeted uh, in the intervening time uh, when, when we once again uh, record the uprising? Good question. Uh, hasn't tweeted in two years. So I'm going to I'm going to go with no, because he not he, to be a contrarian. I'm going to go with yes. And we'll let uh, history we'll be let our the, guide. Okay, and, good. Uh, so one of, us, hindsight, uh, one of us will be right. <laughs> fantastic. Happy Thanksgiving. Gobble, gobble. Bye-bye. You as well. Bye. Entertaining, informative, and just plain fun. Watch Liberty Nation's The Conservative Five. Produced by conservatives for conservatives. C5's The Left Free Zone. Hosted by Liberty Nation's Hi, Lisa, Lisa K. Donner. Joined by a raucous, irreverent panel of authors. Deconstructing leftist narratives. Debating the hot topics. And remembering to laugh. Join the official conservative safe space. Liberty Nation's The Conservative Five. That's it for this edition of The Uprising. Remember to hit Liberty Nation News for original articles, LN Radio, and our signature television program, The Conservative Five. Just go to LibertyNation.com on your browser or hit Rumble, YouTube, or check out our Liberty Nation News Roku channel. 
I'm Scott Casenza. Thanks for joining the Uprising. This program is a production of LibertyNation.com, where truth is making a comeback.